0: Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. I'm Emily Trenum, the Memphis Metropolis host, and this week we're talking to two board members from the Lynching Sites Project, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Lynching Sites Project, but also in particular about a a lynching site um, that is being added to the National Register of Historic Places, hopefully the first of a number of them. And that's the site where L Persons was killed. So out on Summer Avenue, we'll talk a lot more about where that is and why it's important in a minute. But um, um, my guests today are Richard Watkins, who's the president of the Lynching Sites Project Board, and then Kelsey Lampkin, who's a historic preservation who's been on before, not that long ago, actually, talking about the Withers House and is also on the Board of Lynching Site Projects. So welcome, Richard, and welcome, Kelsey.
2: Hi, good day. Thank you, Emily, for having That's us. Absolutely. I really, really appreciate it. And Emily, I guess I should clarify right at the top that it is not yet certain that the L-Person's lynching site will be a part of the National Park Service, but we are trying to get it in there.
0: OK, well, I knew that, actually, that there's an effort to add it. And, um, and we're collectively crossing our fingers as a community because we know it's important. So let's start out about, um, and maybe, um, Richard, we can start off with you talking about you know, the lynching sites project as an organization, you know, when it was started. I mean, why may be obvious, but I think it's useful for people to hear the history, how long it's been around. So give us the, just kind of the background on the on the organization and the work, if you would.
2: Sure thing. So the organization actually has its roots going back to a visit by Brian Stevenson, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative down in Montgomery, uh, Alabama in 2015, and in his speech, he essentially issued a challenge to our community to memorialize the victims of the lynchings that took place in Shelby County. There were a group of people who will become our founders, who they were in that crowd, and they took that to heart. So they banded together, and uh, it pretty much started out as an interfaith prayer service, in December, excuse me, <coughs> of that year, December uh, 2015, they had an interfaith prayer service uh, downtown uh, in which all the names of the known victims uh, of, of lynchings in Shelby County were read. And uh, a committee was, was formed to, to try and put something together. And then the following year, 2016, and <clears throat> we eventually came into into being. Uh, in, in later on in that year, uh, around the 2016 time frame. So,
0: so do I. I mean, understand the. I guess the purpose to be, you know, to document the, doc research, research and document the sites, and then lift them up in the community's awareness to make them aware of the history. Is that? Do I have that right?
2: Right. That is definitely the our initial that was our initial goal. Right. And it still is our goal. And I think we, we've expanded that a bit uh, to include educating our community on lynchings, uh, period, and also expounding upon the effects of lynching in our society today. Going back to the first goal of, of letting people know about these, these lynchings. Uh, at the beginning, it was pretty much just markers, right? We would have services, we would uh, uh, dedicate a marker, and of course, the people who attended or who see the marker are aware of it. We are adapting uh, that approach now as, as we are growing to include digital aspects of that. Uh, we received some grant funding from the National uh, Trust Fund to create an app, a mobile app, That we are creating to have a a mobile application on your phone with augmented reality so that you can access more detail, more information, more research on the particular sites that you visit that have a special QR code uh, for your mobile device to read. Okay. So we are, yeah. So it's not just uh, reading a a marker. We want to get that information out there to as many people as, as possible throughout whatever avenues that are available.
0: So I know the that the process of, um, you know, getting a marker, it's not just a matter of, you know, getting a marker made and erecting it. There's research and documentation making the case, and um, which is, you know, time-consuming, involved a lot of volunteer time and special knowledge. So how many I've visited a couple of the sites, but how many sites have been documented and then how many known sites? I know there's probably unknown ones, but how many known sites do you ultimately hope to document? Let's just say it'll probably take 20 years to do them all, but what's the how many would you like to do and how many have already been done? And 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 list and list those if you would if you can, because we're going to talk about L persons, but we're not going to yeah. talk about the South Memphis grocery store. And I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's a, for another day.
2: Yes, of course. So we are aware of 25 known cases of lynchings in Shelby County with 37 victims. Okay. Uh, we have placed at this point four, Markers, uh, one for for L. Persons, one for Lee Walker, one for Washington Lee, and one for an 1851 anonymous victim that was lynched downtown. Okay? Uh, Those are markers that the Lynching Sites Project has put up. Now, there are other lynching markers uh, that Memphis or Shelby County or the Tennessee Historical Commission have put up, one of which uh, for instance, is the uh, marker for the People's Grocery Luncheon that you mentioned before. We Now, for next year, we plan on dedicating at least two markers. One is for Pat Crump, which happened in the Mallory, what is now the Mallory uh, neighborhood. And the second actually is for the People's Grocery Victims, but our marker will be near the actual site of their lynching, the marker that exists right now is on the site of where their, of where the grocery store once was.
0: And then, and the the site of their lynching is in Uptown, I believe. I think
2: I visited that right. recently. I think that's What it's called uh, now? Yes. Okay,
0: okay. I guess they're both locations are important to to recognize. Right. So you can't have too many markers for that kind of right.
2: It, it, exactly, you, but you mentioned uh, as you can see, I've only named like four that we put up now, and then we're going to add two. So that leaves quite a few. That's like four plus two is six, and then there's like what nineteen uh, ni- other nineteen other cases, right? So in some of these we or or in these we are still researching, and some of them you know we kind of know the general location thereabouts. You know, finding the materials to to find the exact location that's a long term process. And, uh, we have really, really good researchers. Margaret Vandiver is, is, is one of our, is our lead, quite honestly, uh, is really, really good at it. And we are continuing our efforts to do that. So,
0: well, the, along those lines, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds as much as I love the weeds, but I'm sort of, you, you mentioned that one of them was an, um, one of the ones you had documented was an anonymous, uh, victim and, um, that sort of surprised me because that seems like that'd be even more challenging. Although maybe you know that that was the side of a lynching. You just don't know the identity of the person that was lynched.
2: Exactly. And um, uh, Kelsey, you can correct me if I'm wrong on the name. Jen Jen Beattie, I believe is her name. Jen, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> Jen Beattie uh, did phenomenal work on researching this victim. Uh, It was in the paper, uh, the local papers, so it was known about, and as was the case back in the day, reports of that lynching were also in other papers, okay? And her story in doing this research is really, really moving. We actually have a podcast episode uh, on this, the 1851 uh, lynching. Our podcast is called The Red Record with the Lynching Sites Project, and Her search is really for his name. Uh, What we know is that he got on a boat in Mississippi. And at that time, Memphis was the last stop before you got to a free state, a free region. So they had everyone get off the boat, look at their papers because they wanted to deter people escaping to freedom. Uh, A person, uh, they checked his papers. They said it was a forgery, and they were. They went to find a, a constable, a police officer, and this victim uh, did not want to be taken back to slavery, and he shot the man. Uh, um, uh, he was taken into custody, a mob formed to dispense their own justice right downtown. Uh, there is a marker there. It is uh, just north. There's a little grassy area. There's a park just north of what is the Sheraton Hotel, Uh, believe that was once Market Square, uh, that area, and that is where they, they lynched him in 1851. That particular instance is pretty rare, Well, it's pretty interesting, because most lynchings occurred in that post-Civil War Reconstruction era, so this one was kind of rare because it was before the Civil War. So yeah.
0: that is interesting. So let's talk about so this work is so important. And at the end, I want um, in the in the, you know, the show notes for the podcast version. I want to make sure that we include a link mm-hmm. to your podcast so people sure. can listen to that and learn more about um, about the work. So let's talk about L Persons. Um <coughs> Since he's going to be the subject of the of a National Register application. So who, and, and for either one of you, like L. Persons, so I feel, I mean, I hate to, I feel like he's the most well-known of the, in the community of the lynching victims. And um, so what's his, what's briefly, like, what's his story um before he i mean the site where he was lynched you know on Summer Avenue but what was his story and how did he get to this what was his journey to get to this point where he met his you know tragic death
2: I will turn this over to, to Kelsey at this point because she put in so much good and hard work on putting this research together and making a packet for our representative Steve Cohen um, to review uh, to make the case that the L-Person site should be a part of the National Park Service. So I'm going to turn it over to Kelsey to to tell this part of the story.
3: Okay, Kelsey. Sure, and I just want to clarify, um, I also had so much help from Dr. Margaret Vandiver and Dr. Timothy Hubner. We're still uh, working to make sure we can put forth the absolute best version possible, but I want to definitely say I'm standing on their shoulders for this, especially Margaret's. Um, but l Persons, he was a black woodcutter that lived... Uh, on the outskirts of Memphis and what started this whole thing off was uh, in April 1917 a young girl a teenager Antoinette Rappel had gone missing on her way to school and a few days later her body was found and immediately despite uh, no evidence pointing to a perpetrator being a black woodcutter um, the the police force and especially the sheriff began looking for um, a, a black perpetrator, and there were there was um, specific one of the most um, interesting pieces of evidence was a white glove that was found at the scene, which indicated a white person had been there, um, but the sheriff really just just went forward uh, with this narrative that a black person was responsible for this and after um a couple of people had been pointed out as possibly being responsible um and those alibis uh cleared other other people such as uh, mr dewitt ford um a previous employer of l persons had uh told the sheriff that Mr. Persons had made his wife uncomfortable by staring wildly at her. And this was apparently enough evidence to go on. So um, he was arrested, questioned, and released, I believe, three times. He was followed to see if he would go to uh, the site of the murder where the body was found. He never did. And after forcing a confession uh, in which the the law enforcement officers there uh, noted to him that he had blood on him and on his shoes, uh, which was reported in the paper to be not true. And uh, one of what appears to be one of the main points of evidence against him was this theory of, oh, and I can't, I I might not even be able to remember the name, uh, or uh, it was a process that they believe that you could photograph a deceased person's eyes and see the image of the killer in them which is obviously ludicrous but that is uh they did that and stated that l persons was clearly visible and uh so he was arrested again and he was eventually uh transported out of the city uh for for safekeeping because as the newspaper predicted there um the white population here was eager to take care of this outside of the law and on his way on he was on a train i believe in Potts camp mississippi and a mob who had already uh, been allowed to search the jail i believe twice um he was abducted from the train and taken to the spot in macon road where he was murdered and unlike Most lynchings, um, this was extremely well documented, and that is why we are able to pinpoint really the precise location, even noting that while um, Antoinette Rappel's body was found on one side of the bridge, his body uh, was burned on the other to afford a better view to the crowd. So details like this have really you know they're terrible but they have been extremely helpful in identifying the exact site where this atrocity took place
0: well i have heard that um you know the lynchings were you know social occasions and um you know where people gathered to you know watch and enjoy refreshments and and so they were written up in the paper as or advertised. Um, it sounds like that what you're saying is as, as awful as that sounds. I mean, it, it, there's not sounding, it's awful. Um, it it provides you with documentation is very important for the historical record.
3: Yes, Um the, there are no photos of the occasion that we've been able to find, but yes, uh, documents, you know, noting the carnival-like atmosphere, that sandwiches were being sold, children were allowed to leave school, you you couldn't drive up Macon Road because the traf- uh, cars were stalled along the way to get a view. It was very well attended and very well documented.
0: So, so Kelsey and... and- You know, Richard, if you have thoughts, like were, were, do you know if, you know, most members of the community were, you know, in favor of people taking the law into their own hand? Was it sort of fringe activity or was this something that the community generally supported or do you know?
2: I think that's always going to be hard to say. Uh, in, in any issue like that, right? I mean to, in order to accurately say, oh, most people did, you had to take a poll, right? Uh, and of course that was was not done. I think one of the issues that we have with lynching, it's it's a hidden history. It happened. Most everyone knows it, it happened. But it's not taught in schools, really. It's not dwelled upon in history books, or even in local history books. It's not studied that in-depthly uh, by a large number of people. And as evidenced through uh, the talk that we, we, we're, we're just having on researching these issues, uh, it's hard to go back and find first-hand information so when it's not documented thoroughly at the beginning, the sentiments of those who were in the crowd, so to speak, um, not talked about thereafter, not thoroughly discussed for decades, you get to where we are now to and ask the question, well, how did those people feel? We don't know. We've seen the postcards of thousands of people before, a carcass. And I've always wondered, which is probably one of the reasons I, I do this work. Well, what did those people? Do? Were they revolting? Were, 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 yeah, go
0: it's ahead. It's just hard, it, it's, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. It just, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I know you, you have spent, both of you have spent a lot more time in this work than I have, but it just makes my head hurt. My heart hurt as well. Um, thinking that that would be, I mean, we, that, that those crimes would be perpetrated, but that the community in general would celebrate it. I just, it seems barbaric. Just to
3: jump in here, I think it's, it is. I think it's not that difficult to imagine just thinking of um, 21st century lynchings that we see today, you know, clinging to, well, if this person hadn't done X or Y or Z, this wouldn't have happened. So I think these do serve to kind of Uphold white supremacy. Even today, we still see the effects of that. So, um, if you expand your, you know, expand and just think about what the purpose of these was, it's unfortunately quite easy to imagine.
0: I actually, I can't disagree with that. Um, I think it's the it's the spectator piece of it that is. that the, I mean, there are modern day lynchings. It's a spectator piece of it that I'm having the hardest time with, but I hear you, point, Kelsey, definitely. So, the, um, so one of the things, of course, this show is about the built environment, and I'm, you know, fascinated by place and how places have changed. And, and, um, and I don't know why I bring this up except I think it's interesting when you go to the, you know, the, when you go to the L person site, I mean it's on Summer Avenue and the actual site's like behind, you know, a car dealer or and it's just it's um I guess located one of you for us sort of physically and then um I don't know if there's anything to say about how the built environment has changed, but that just to me is very um interesting. Just that these these sites have so much history, but they've essentially been built over.
2: Right, and I, that's one of the reasons it's important to to save this site, get into the National uh, uh, Park Service, because uh, it could be paved over or redeveloped and just forgotten about, and we would have missed this opportunity. Uh, it, it, it's funny that was a main thoroughfare of the city at the time. Uh, the original bridge was torn down at some point. Kelsey knows more detail in that piece. Um, traffic shifted. I think the river was also kind of rerouted at some point, but uh, there are abutments there <clears throat> that we have not actually been able to 100% confirm were the original abutments uh, not, but they are they uh, supported the bridge that went over the river at the time. Um, if not protected it will be lost to history
0: so um so the i know there's two markers there or there's either uh, there's two markers or but if people wanted to vi- to visit the site um is it better to, is it best just to go to the Lynching Sites Project website and sort of find find what the location is? What's the best way if people want to, you know, go there and see the marker and then visit the site?
2: Right. You can always go to the Lynching Sites Project website, lynchingsitesmem.org, uh, and find out more information and the location of the marker and the site will be on our website. Uh, but if I'm just, describing it to someone right now it uh, one marker is on the southwest corner of the put put uh golf centers uh uh, parking lot right i believe there is a, a standalone ice machine uh i think that's the nearest structure to that marker and i think that marker was dedicated by i think jointly the naacp uh, as well as uh, LSP. And the other marker is along Summer Road. So if you go down maybe 200 yards or just a bit more, you get to the, there's a green marker uh, there that is geographically closer to the actual spot of lake.
0: Okay. So I'm, I meant to reintroduce you to, so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR, 91.7 FM, and I'm speaking with Richard Watkins and Kelsey Lampkin from the Lynching Sites Project. So Kelsey, let's talk a little more about the, you're preparing a nomination um, for the, the El- Person site to the National Register for Historic Preservation. And that those projects I know from talking to you in and of themselves it, there's a lot of work. There's documentation, you've got to it goes to the state, there's various federal, um local um approvals before it gets um before it gets to the National Park Service. But it sounds like this application might be additionally complicated because it's a little unusual. I might elaborate on that a little bit, maybe I'm not explaining it right, but it sounds like Um, maybe there's some additional challenges for this application.
3: Sure. So whenever I first uh, reached out to the Tennessee Historical Commission staff um, about nominating the site and, you know, asking if we'd be eligible, uh, the answer was really it depends, which can go for a lot of things. You know, it depends what is the integrity of the site? Is it still representative of whatever the event that we're nominating it for, in which case this, um, you know, as we said, it really surprisingly has not changed very much. But yes, there. this is a little more challenging because as of right now, there are no um, lynching sites on the National Register of Historic Places. There's really not a blueprint to follow. So, and, you know, because of the nature of this, uh, you know, what, what we're trying to nominate, there isn't um, really a model to follow with this. And because there there is unfortunately you know we're living we're here recording in tennessee we you know there's a lot of pushback on teaching on um, this kind of history and a lot of uh discussion around the nature what what qualifies as a lynching so what we've been trying to do is just overly document dig in as much as possible trying to anticipate any question that could potentially come up from the Tennessee Historical Commission Board, the National Park Service, just really trying to throw our all into this to explain as detailed as possible why this site is significant, why it is nationally significant, and why we deserve to have an example, you know, a a racial terror lynching on the National Register. That history, African-American history, as I said, you know, the last time I was here, makes up less than 1%. Uh, listing on the National Register and that this, we are extremely hopeful that if we're successful in this, this will inspire and encourage other um, organizations and cities around the country to do the same thing and start talking about that history, talking about how these events have affected the city, the region, the country, and just start a dialogue about that, which is unfortunately right now... um, uh, powers that be are trying to limit discussion on that, and we want to open up more discussion on that.
0: Well, I feel that it's so important, I mean, for Memphis and for Shelby County, but also just for the nation, as you said, because you could be that, if this is successful, this could be that template for others. And, um, you know, the history could be more widely known, and there could be more documentation. So I um, so I'm excited that you're undertaking this, and I guess that if it's successful, and I realize that the, each of these is a huge undertaking, so it's not like you're going to knock out, you know, several a year. But I guess if this is successful, ultimately, you would like to add additional sites if, if it's successful to the to. You would like to submit additional applications. Let's say.
3: Absolutely, I think um, we would be extremely interested in that because not only. You know, do you get um, the, the listing in the National Register? That is extremely helpful for people that want to research the history of a community or a city. Um, having all of this there, it, it creates a more fuller picture of our history. And so we we I think we would like to, if possible, uh, nominate others and you know, continue this work.
2: And I, I think now is, is a good time to talk about the bill that Congressman Steve Cohen put forth because, uh, and that's the Evaluating Lynching Locations uh, for National Parks Sites Act of May 31st, 2022. Uh, a part of that that act is to direct the Secretary of the Interior to evaluate lynching sites within approximately 100 miles of Memphis, Tennessee for potential inclusion uh, in the national park system. So it is kind of built in that hopefully uh, L persons would kind of be the, the centerpiece of the site that also includes a recognition of other uh, lynching sites that happen in our area.
0: So is that act uh, Memphis or Shelby County specific or is it, um, does it direct the Department of Interior to research the lynching sites generally?
2: Sites that are within 100 miles of Memphis. So I guess that, that definitely includes Shelby County and some adjacent counties that, of course, fit in that 100-mile uh, range. And it's Tennessee-based, so it's not the counties in northern Mississippi or in eastern Arkansas.
0: That act, if it was passed, would it provide funding for this work?
2: Well, this act is just to fund research for the National Park Service, right? To see, do we have enough information? What, what are these sites, first of all? Because that's a major step, as I to go back to our beginning of our conversation. Some sites we know kind of vaguely where they are, right? Some of these happen under the cover of darkness, and you know, they they wanted the act to be known, but they didn't necessarily want to know what where it happened, known. In the case of L Persons, that of course was a spectacle lynching, and you can probably you can also say the 1851 victim as well, because it was widely publicized, right? Uh, so a part of it is, hey, well, can we find out where, the, where they are, right? Uh, how are these sites situated? Do they meet other criteria, which Kelsey talked about uh, for admission into the National Park Service? So this act would, would do that piece. Now that's the act, there's another prong to getting it into the National Park Service which we are also pursuing, and that is under the the Antiquities Act. Uh, we worked with Congressman Cohen in, to draft a letter to the executive, which is President Joe Biden, to get the site in uh, by itself into the National Park Service under the Antiquities Act. So that is something that the executive can do, and that letter is in President Biden's hands. So we actually have two balls in play. One is that way under the Antiquities Act, and the other is through this uh, this proposed bill from Representative Cole.
0: So if, if, if it's the Antiquities Act route, if the president approved it, that would essentially place the site on the National Register, is that correct?
2: That would be right. There's some steps into that, but if he goes ahead and... and it's within his power to do it with uh, with the start of a pinstroke.
0: So it's sort of a it's sort of a um it's an, it's an a, a quicker on ramp if if you're ultimately successful.
2: It is a quicker ramp. Maybe. Well it seems <laughs> this, like this is this is the sausage making of, of Washington.
0: Well right? yeah, but so. it seems like because it's the first um it would be easier to make the case. Fast track let's fast track this one and it will be a model for other communities to do this important work. I could see that making I mean the President Biden busy, but I could see that um that being kind of a compelling case. Also would also maybe not only would it open the doors, but it would give the Sort of the approval of the president to for the National Park Service to look favorably on these kind of
2: applications. Yes, I agree with that.
0: So, Kelsey, um, as I mentioned when we first started talking, there's multiple steps in these applications. Um, so, where are you? Are you still are you still actually preparing the application, or has it been you know sent to the state for their input? Where are you at in that whole process?
3: So we have um, submitted um, a couple of rounds of drafts to the Tennessee Historical Commission staff, um, which you know is typical. You um, often have at least a couple of rounds of edits, just polishing and tightening it up. Um, specifically for us, uh, we've been working to narrow down the appropriate boundaries of the site, which you know can be a challenge. This extended up and down Macon Road, so trying to figure out what the most appropriate boundaries would be to encompass the spectacle lynching. But we are, I I feel pretty good about it. I think, I feel pretty good about saying I think we're close to the end of these edits and then we will go before the Memphis Landmarks Commission, which meets monthly. And then if that gets approved, then we go before the state review board, which meets three times a year. So that. You know, that can slow it down a little, uh, waiting for those meetings to come up, but gives us more time to make sure it's perfect before it gets to them. And then we can send it to the National Park Service after that.
0: Well, and what kind of, um, you know, usually with these applications, the ones I've seen have a lot of visual documentation, you know, maps and if it's appropriate, pictures of buildings. What are you including, um, In the way of of, of visual documentation with the application, because it's probably not a lot to work with.
3: So we are uh, mapping the site and giving sort of a narrative history of the site uh, dating back to, I think, the 1840s, looking at historic maps, uh, topographic maps, uh, postal route maps anything that um, can help us get a sense of how the site has or has not changed and you know as we said it really has not changed too dramatically the power the the macon road that um was abandoned the wolf river was rerouted but the power lines that uh mark where the roadbed was is still there so it's it's pretty easy to find so um using all of these maps and then uh site visits that we have taken a couple of times in the past few years, uh, noting how the site looks today and identifying things. Um, So as the bridge abutments, we have not been successful in conclusively dating exactly when those were constructed. Not for lack of trying, we have reached out to experts, engineers, bridge enthusiast groups, which I didn't realize existed. Um, We've tried to be extremely creative and figuring it out um but even though we're we think that they probably date to uh the 1920s the river would often flood and bridges would have to be rebuilt if you look if you compare it uh on the map today to historic maps the the route and the roadbed it, it has not changed that much which is truly amazing and just another reason why the site needs to be documented because we want to make sure that we can preserve the site as well.
0: Sounds like a puzzle, putting together the pieces of a puzzle when some of the pieces are lost permanently. So, Richard, last question: um, How can people? What? What is there anything else you want people to know about the Lynching Sites Project? And then, how can people get
2: involved? First of all, you can start your journey into the mm-hmm. Lynching Sites Project by going to our website lynchingsitesmem.org. Uh, you can also visit us, whether in person or virtually, at our community meetings, which are the second Mondays of the month at Barth House, right on the uh, the campus of University of Memphis. Actually, I think right across the street from the campus of University of Memphis. Uh, those meetings start at 6 o'clock. Uh, you can register for those if you want to attend virtually through our website. You can tune in to our podcast, the first season of which... Uh, Wrapped up at the beginning of this year, Red Record uh, Podcast with the Lynching Sites Project. Uh, And through those avenues, you could sign up uh, to attend our meetings, as I said before. And through attending our meetings, we uh, provide opportunities to volunteer on some of our other projects. We have an education project uh, going on to deal with this adversity that we are facing in Tennessee with the fact that... um, Certain things relating to racial justice are not being taught in, in school. So we're trying to figure out a way to, to address that situation. And we have on that committee uh, someone who was once a Tennessee Teacher of the Year. Uh, we have a college pro- college professor on that team as well as a, a grad student uh, on that team. Uh, we also have a quilting project that is going on to help commemorate the victims uh, that happened in, in Shelby County. And of course, there's also the the app project, uh, the mobile app project that we have going on.
0: So it sounds <laughs> like there's a lot of ways to get involved. If, if you're into sewing, if you're into coding,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you're into teaching. So you've got, exactly. got a lot of ways to plug in. OK.
3: I also wanted to say, well, this has been Sorry. Um, I just, I also wanted to say uh, there, if you're not local to Memphis, we are not the only organization in Tennessee doing this work. Um, You can Google, go email the Tennessee Historical Commission. There are organizations all over the state that are doing similar work as well. So you can get involved with uh, a more local group as well, wherever you are.
0: Yeah, that's important because certainly this, you know, horrible history is not unique to Shelby County. So before we go, I think Lynching Science Project has an event you wanted to let the audience know about.
2: Yes, we do. We have a symposium coming up next month that really tells the story, a full story of the L-Person's lynching. Uh, The story of the lynching, how it affects our society, how newspapers at the time talked about the lynching, and a very, very special panel, which I'll let Kelsey talk more about. Kelsey has uh, is leading this effort uh, to put on this symposium. And if you want to become more involved with the lynching sites project, we do invite you to attend this symposium to see uh, what we do and uh, the story of this uh, lynching. So Kelsey?
3: It is going to be uh, October fifteenth on a Saturday, and you know we'd love for you to join us in person at the First Congregational Church in Cooper Young. If you can't join us in person, this is going to be live stream. We're going to put it on the website. We want uh, everyone to check it out and hear about it. We're, I, we have so many exciting panels, bringing experts and community members from you know all over to discuss this and really have. A conversation about it. I think, uh, Rich, you may have already said this. Um, one of the most exciting panels is ha- a panel with the descendants of the person's family, Internet Repel's family, and a spectator who was at the lynching that day. So I, I think it's going to be something that most people haven't seen before. Sounds very powerful.
0: Okay. That sounds great. Well, thanks for letting us know. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion, Um, you know, very difficult topic, but um, I'm so happy that Lynching Sites Project is doing the work to document and educate um, and preserve this history. So so you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I've been talking with Richard Watkins, who's the president of the Lynching Sites Board of Directors, and Kelsey Lampkin, who's a historic preservationist, who's also on the board of Lynching Sites Project. So Richard and Kelsey, thank you so much for um, joining me on Memphis Metropolis today.
3: Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank
3: you.
1: Memphis Listening Lab proudly supports WYXR. They provide a curated collection of music and music history, a forum for music-related talks and performances, and a music education, appreciation, and experimentation space located in Crosstown Concourse. The Lab is open Tuesday through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can find out more information on their Instagram page at Memphis Listening Lab or on their website at memphislisteninglab.org.
0: you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.